Hello and welcome to The Zeros. And if you've never listened to before, The Zeros are a set of years. The years of the 20th and 21st centuries that end in zero. And we explore how much these years belong to the decade gone and how much to the decade to come. So in series one, we talk about 1990 and we're exploring the 80s-ness and the 90s-ness of 1990. This is the first of our bonus episodes. So the main series is about popular culture. These bonus episodes are about straight history. And what an episode we have today. I'm recording this at just coming up to 5pm on the 20th of July 2022. And we've just found out who the last two candidates are going to be in the Tory Leadership Challenge namely Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. So we thought that it was about time to release the episode that we recorded with cultural and political historian and writer Alwyn Turner. We recorded this episode back in March, myself and Susie, and we're discussing the Tory leadership challenge of 1990 and the fall of Margaret Thatcher. So we think you're going to thoroughly enjoy this. Alwyn is a superb writer and an excellent guest to interview, and we had a lot of fun recording it, so please enjoy. Hi, Alvin. How's Trey? Hello. All is good. Thank you. Uh, we have a little experiment. We like to um, kick off every episode with a time travel thought experiment, and for you, uh, Niall has prepared a very special one. Uh, so... Picture this, a lobby journalist uh, is in the press gallery doing PMQs in November, 1986. She drops her pen and leans down to pick it up. When she comes back up, she's fallen through a time warp into PMQs in November, 1994. What, how surprised is she going to be to see the change in personnel? How familiar would she be with the two leaders now going head to head? What about the tone and content of the debate? I guess we could start off one by one. I just read this verbatim. Sorry, Niall. The the, the absence of Margaret Thatcher, I don't think, would have been a great shock. Um, Just because if she was aware that she was now in 1994, she would then think, well, Margaret Thatcher would not have been Prime Minister for 15 years because people just aren't. Um, However uh, solid Thatcher looked in in, in post in, in late 86, I still think you would have expected Margaret Thatcher to have gone. Um, The idea of John Major being Prime Minister would have been a deep shock. I mean, at that stage, he was Chief Secretary to the Treasury, I think. uh, This is before his elevation to uh, the things. And I know Chief Secretary to the Treasury is a serious job and it's a cabinet position, but it's the least visible cabinet position. Most of the work is backstage. The idea that he would have been catapulted into the leadership would have been highly implausible, I'd have thought. Um, on the other side, you've got Tony Blair. Um, I'm not sure that would have been a great shock. Blair was already known by late 86. I mean, he did make a mark quite rapidly because, well, partly because when he was elected in 1983 for the first time, there were so very few Labour MPs to choose from. Um, it was it was such a reduced party, and clearly he and Gordon Brown were the standout uh, members of the new intake. Um, I, I I think you would have predicted Gordon Brown more likely 
Um, but I don't think Tony Blair would have been a great shock to have been leader. Um, as for the tone of it, it was it was less combative than it had been under Thatcher, but I'm not as sure that would have been a great surprise either because Thatcher was the most combative of all prime ministers. Um, so her removal would have would have uh, lent itself in almost any circumstances to a slightly slightly friendly friendlier tone, or at least yeah, less aggressive tone in Parliament. And, and on the other side, would um, the shift from a, a very passionate Celt to a, a much more smooth Anglo-Saxon have had some influence on tone coming from the other side of the bench? We're, we're, we're ruling out Tony Blair's uh, Scottishness at this stage, are we? It, it, it certainly, not, it, it may be in his genes, I'm not sure if it was, so it was in his soul. <laughs> he just strikes <laughs> me, whenever I look at Tony Blair, I just think he was made in a factory, so... <laughs> They, yeah, and not in Scotland. But you, you, you are right. He, he, he didn't come across as very Scottish, and indeed, had he been, it would have counted against him. <laughs> um, uh, I think. No, I, 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 the leaderships of parties often swing between, you know, with with kind of wild extremes almost. Um, you can see it with the, the, the move from Theresa May to Boris Johnson. This is uh, this is fairly definite. Or, or Jeremy Corbyn to Keir Starmer. Um, so the idea that you've replaced um, a very passionate Welsh leader with a much more emollient um, Anglo leader, I, I, I will accept. Um, yeah, I think that's. I, I don't think that would have been a great shock somehow. That, that that seems to me that's how politics tends to work. And indeed, governments often, you know, that's how we as, as a public often respond, is we, 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 we go down one path and then we, we need to be pulled back in the other direction. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's very interesting um, seeing how cultural cycles usually evolve in direct opposition to, uh, or like as a knee-jerk reaction to whatever came before it. Um, mm -hmm. The way um, you made it sound um, in your book and from the very little that I know from my rewriting Modern Britain 2021 unit, um, John Major seemed like a palate cleanser in a way. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably fair. Um, I mean, he got to be leader because nobody knew who he was. Even even in the Tory ranks, he, he was the one of the three candidates who were put forward. Michael Hesseltine was was not going to win because uh, he was he was hostile to Thatcher rather than just being the anti-Thatcher. Um, he, he'd he already done the damage and and he could not be rewarded for it, which left you with Douglas Hurd as the establishment candidate or John Major as the blank slate. And with a blank slate, people project onto it, and, and they assumed uh, that Tory MPs assumed that he would be a Thatcherite, I think. And, and they, there was no indication they wanted anything other than Thatcherite at this stage. It wasn't the Tory MPs who got rid of Margaret Thatcher. It was the Cabinet who got rid of Margaret Thatcher. The MPs had voted for it. She, she won the election in, in, in terms of getting a, a, a majority of the, the support. She didn't win it by sufficient margin, but I mean, it was it was 
very close. Um, and the MPs, I think, wanted some wanted a kind of continuity candidate, but preferably one that the public wouldn't hate. And, and John Major seemed to be the perfect candidate for this. He, he seemed to have Thatcherite credentials. He came from a humble background and all that stuff. He'd been elected only in 1979, so it, it, it never never served under any any previous leader. Um, he he seemed to represent the the success story of Thatcherism. Hence those the, that those posters that they used of uh, what do the Tories do for a, a working class kid from Brixton? They make him prime minister. That's it. Seemed to be a a, a, a success story for Thatcher. And in 1992, it worked. Yeah. Oh, indeed. I mean, he, he, he was very popular, um, and and to a large extent because Thatcher had gone. I mean, I, given that most people don't really care about politics and they're not interested in politics, you couldn't avoid Margaret Thatcher. However, uninterested in politics you were, she she was such a massive force for such a very long time. But once she's gone, I think a lot of people kind of assumed that we had a new government there. Um, and 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 so it, it 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 felt as if we'd already had the change. We didn't need another change of government in 1992 because we'd already changed. Uh, I guess um, Niall and I were talking before you joined us about uh, how annoying it is how a lot of these sort of political changes happen seemingly in tandem with the U.S. government. Um, if you go like. Carter, Callaghan, Thatcher, Reagan, Major Bush, uh, Clinton, Blair, but there was more presidents for Bush, obviously because he'd been vice president for eight years. Um, but he strikes me as a very similar character, and um, I guess what the dad on Family Ties says is just four more years of Reagan. Now we have Dennis the Menace as vice president. <laughs> but I, I, I think that's slightly oversimplifying it as well, though, because the, the first Clinton term was surely under at the same time as John Major's premiership, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. 90, 93 to ninety-seven. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, you know, the Major spent more time with Clinton as, as, as the president than he did with with Bush. And Blair actually, yeah, but and Blair actually yeah. spent more time with Bush than Clinton. It's 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 a funny it's yeah. a funny little reversal of the moment. And then actually, yes, um, the majority of of Obama's time has been with Tories. He had two years, yeah. two years with Brown, or less, a year and a bit with Brown, and then so it, it yes, suddenly you get a change around this time where uh, you get the, I suppose. A, a, tandem bike falls apart. Yes, yes. But, um, but I, I, I think some of that is just because um, because people forget just how long John Major was prime minister. Yeah. I, I, you know, he, he, because of the nature of the people who came on either side, he's seen as like the stopgap between Thatcher and Blair. But actually, you know, this is, is a very long spell as prime minister. It's, it's, it's a very respectable length of time to be in office. Um, he, he, he was a definite thing in his own right, but he, 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 it's easy to forget him. You know, he, he's not he is not the most memorable prime minister of my lifetime. It's it's funny that he he has this unexpected 
electoral win in 1992 and yeah. um, comes out of that smelling of roses and then almost automatically falls into the probably the most calamitous premiership until 2007 of anybody of of just it, constant calamity it, it, it was an extraordinary fall i mean he um that 92 election victory yes it was unexpected i didn't expect it um it was a perfectly good majority that he got um and he got a vast vote i mean you know still the only the only person who's ever got more than 14 million voters to turn out for a, for a party um, and it did. I remember this, the, the the summer of 1992 very well. Where there was just endless discussion about whether the Labour Party could ever win a general election again. It seemed as if it was, if you can't beat John Major at a time when the country was not technically in recession. The recession had officially ended, but it, it genuinely felt like it. I mean, you know, the, the the reality rather than the statistics, we were still in recession. And if you can't, and, and it was clearly their recession as well. I mean, you, know, you can't blame it on anybody else if you've been in power for 12 years, 13 years. Um, and if you can't beat that, then was there any point in the Labour Party anymore? And then Back the autumn, to the clubhouse to, to rebrand. Yeah. But then but then they didn't need to. The, aut- the, the autumn of 1992 brought us Black Wednesday and it was never the same again. Um, and, and then it does, then it does become calamitous. And once... Once the narrative is that it's calamity, then everything is everything feeds into that. Nothing else is nobody pays any attention to anything else. I mean, John Major's record by the time he got to 1997 was very decent. It had um, a long period of, of economic growth. Unemployment was down. House prices, which had upset people, um, were, were were rising again. Everything seemed to be right. All, all the normal measures that you would use to judge a politician, he had he had a, a perfectly decent track record, but it didn't matter. Nobody was paying the blindest bit of attention to any of that stuff because we'd already decided that he was a disaster. Um, and, and, the, and, and the Tory the Tory government around him contributed very heavily to thinking that it, to us thinking it was a disaster. I certainly I remember. Um him appearing once in 1989, Rory Bremner doing him, um, I can't remember what role he had, and it, it, it was a very, very poorly crafted impersonation because he mm-hmm. didn't, he was not featuring on the radar at all and, and, and Bremner was really struggling to find a hook on him. Mm. I remember by 1993... That, that, that I mean, he had serious jobs. It's just he yes. didn't hold them for very long. But that, that probably would have been when he moved from foreign secretary to chancellor. That would have been. Which is, which is huge. Yeah. I mean, these two of the great offices of state. And he held them between them for about 15 months or something ridiculous. But, but yeah, I, nobody knew who he was. Uh, the, the, and the fact that he'd been foreign secretary and chancellor before he became leader, that still didn't help. We still didn't know who he was, really. Yeah. And yet, by the time you get to the Tory self uh, eviscerations over Europe and Maastricht, the the narrative in both Spitting Image and Bremner, who would have really shaped popular culture perception of politics, was of mm. a bullied loser, of a, a a man completely out of control. But as you say, you know, 
as well as fully turning the economy around. And, and you write in your book about some of the quite welfareist interventions that he and Hesseltine make around housing. Um, and also, you know, the trouble started to end under his watch, the Downing Street Declaration and his interventions here. Um, a yeah. bit hindered by the fact that he suddenly became reliant on unionists when the Maastricht rebels did him in. But none of that's remembered. And Blair surfs his wave and gets all the credit for all of this. Mm. It's interesting. And, but, but, but even before Blair becomes leader, that was that was the Labour strategy as well, was just to sit it out. Because yeah. the, the great the great catastrophe is, is Britain getting thrown out of the ex- exchange rate mechanism of, of, of the EU. Oh, sorry, of the um European communities as there was. Um, and that was a policy that the Labour Party had been articulating longer than the Tories. And John Smith, as the Shadow Chancellor, had been very keen on this. He was now the leader. By rights, he should have been shot down in flames as well for Black Wednesday. But he just kept his head down and waited, waited for all, all, all the crap to descend upon the, the, the government and, and remained squeaky clean as a result. Yes. Sometimes that works as an opposition. No, indeed. And if we go back to 1990 and to Thatcher's Anis Oribelis, was there was there maybe a desire in the Labour benches that the Tories would sort of clamber on with her as the albatross around their neck until the 91 or 92 election, whenever it was going to be? Was that Was there a sense of that? The the opinion polls were very bad in 1990. Um, yeah. the, the Labour Party, I mean, they, they fluctuate, but the Labour Party had a lead of between 10 and 15 points in the polls for much of the, the about the six months preceded Thatcher's uh, defenestration. Wow. So, so there, was, there was a real sense that actually maybe this time she had run out of luck. I'm not convinced. I, I, I still think she was such an extraordinary campaigner and such a such a huge presence that it was it was perfectly possible that she could have won the next election. Yeah. But 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 there were enough people, particularly in Tory ranks, feeling that actually no, she couldn't. That it was it was time was up. That she was just too big a liability. Uh, yeah, and 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 with by the time she went, we were. We weren't officially in recession. Mm-hmm. Um, the, sec- the, the second two quarters of 1990 saw negative growth on, on GDP. We obviously weren't aware of that because she went in November, you know, in the middle of the, the, the second of those quarters. But, but it was clear that the, uh, uh, the, the economic situation was getting very serious again. Yes. Um, and, and there was no indication that was going to change. So, you know, I mean, maybe it was a reasonable calculation that if you change leave, at least you've got a, a, a clean pair of hands. To work. Because, I mean, I, certainly, um, yeah, she, losing uh, Nigel Lawson was a very, very big news story. I mean, I was mm. 14 at the time, and I remember it being as big a news story around that time as the fall of the Berlin Wall. It was like he had been so hand in glove with her and it, yeah. and, it, and so the the stink of defeat 
was already on her as the uh, Clive James was introducing the new decade that 31st of December. I remember it being a big joke on his roundup of the decade. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, you have the spring of 1990, you know, the, the poll tax riots really, really were, it, it just, the unrest was huge. It was uh, certainly the um, the resignation of Nigel Lawson was was massive. I mean, I, re- I remember it well. I remember saying as as I read the uh, read the news in the evening paper that that that's the end of Thatcher. Mm. And admittedly, it took another year. But then you know she was she did not operate by normal standards. But it was clear that that was such a major uh, loss. Um, and there was no question of uh, you know wanting to spend more time with my family. It was it was very clearly this is a dispute at the very heart of Thatcherism because Lawson was a hardcore Thatcherite. Yeah. Um, he, you know, in economic terms, he was one of the key figures in that. And the other the other great key figure was of course Jeffrey Howe, who, whose, whose subsequent resignation becomes even more serious. But but it did feel that you know Nigel Lawson was 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 a Firstly, a loss because he was he was still seen as being a competent figure, a competent politician. Um, but the fact that yeah, people had fallen out who seemed to be engaged in the same project, yes, suggested that the project might have run its course by that stage. Yes, yes, definitely. I'm yes. I'm fondly remembering my friend's disbelief when I tell them that Nigella Lawson has a dad named Nigel Lawson. That's uh, on my generation. I, that's how old I am. Yeah, no, I, 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 I find that with my students. They, they, they are more aware of Nigella than they are of Nigel. Um, well, I learned of Nigel first, and then I, I found out he had a daughter. I found out what he named her, and I was like, are you serious? It, it, it is a fantasy. Yeah, no, this is sheer egoism. Surely, it's it's, it's a appalling thing to do. Yeah. A- apart from just being such an ugly name, anyway. Yeah. I, you know, it, it it feels like Nutella. It's 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 not the kind of thing you ought to do. I wouldn't have thought. But how do you uh, feel if you're Dominic, and he's like, I wanted to pass my name on less to you. Than someone who I had to actually regender the name for. That's how little I wanted to give you my name. I'm giving it to your sister. I I was also <laughs> I I was also shocked um, during my my research about the uh, winter of discontent and the rise of Thatcherism to find out that Nigel Lawson is still alive. Uh, even more surprised to see what he looks like. In the mm. Well, in my 11 he, years at Friends of the Earth, we cursed his name quite a lot. He did. He had that uh, very rapid weight loss, didn't he? That, um... When he killed his daughter, Laura Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> Another 1990 reference there. Yes. Um, um, I mean, you, you, you said when we did the time travel thought experiment that no journalist knowing they'd fallen through it would have expected to see Thatcher still at that dispatch box. I mean, mm. there is a, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of common trope is Thatcher was an aspiring autocrat. Um, 
that you know, I, I think she she would have been surprised not to have seen herself there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that little hints. We are <laughs> we are a grandmother. That she had positively monarchical uh, self delusions. I, I'm not sure about that because I, it was it was a very odd statement. But if you there's there's a wonderful bit of video of her being interviewed in 1959, uh, just after she's made her maiden speech in Parliament, and she says then she she has the two the two children with her, the twins, um, and they say you know what about being a frontbencher? And she says well I. I think we'll try to be a better backbencher first. And she uses the we even then, mm. right at the beginning of her parliamentary career, she's referring to herself in the plural. So I'm so I'm not sure that the we are a grandmother is quite as, as dramatic as it, it seemed at the time. Yes. It is it's one of those odd twitches of speech that she had. Um, Did she actually but, sorry. Hmm, sorry. Um did Margaret Thatcher actually help invent soft serve soft serve ice cream, or is my friend gaslighting me? I I, I have never fully understood what it was that she invented. The, the 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 story is either soft scoop ice cream, or some form of angel delight slash instant whip. Or it was it was a rubbish confectionery product um, oh. that she worked on, but uh, I'm not sure what. If I were her, I would just milk that. Um, yeah, oh, being attacked. yeah. Oh, don't use milk and Thatcher in the same sentence. You'll, you'll <laughs> kick off quite a quite a rage. <laughs> I feel it's, like... it's, it's one of those things you sometimes get politicians who who think that they should be remembered for something, and, and actually you think you made you made a major contribution elsewhere. <laughs> it's like Jim, Jim Callahan introduced um, cat size to the roads. That's, that's that's great. That was when he was a, a, a transport minister back in the early fifties. That's that's probably the most significant contribution you've made to everyday life. And Bill Clinton Tony, wrote, "The president is missing." <laughs> Tony, Tony Benn introduced color television and postcodes and and pictures on the stamps, apart from the Queen's head. You know, I mean, the, these things we 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 see every day of our lives. This is this is Tony Benn's great contribution to British society. But they, they they politicians tend to have loftier ambitions and they don't talk about the important things. So yeah. so yeah, Margaret Thatcher never talked about her work on. You get a dessert. cameo and 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 Home Alone too, and then uh, <laughs> next logical step is you know I'm going to run for president. That was great, guys. <laughs> yes. uh, let's. Go back to to the 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 labor benches in 1990, and you know things that uh, Tony Blair takes credit for, and and one is the full embracing of a softened neoliberalism. Um, you know that the, the rapid changes in 1994, the abandonment of the aspiration to nationalizing industries, uh, all of the things that he he talks about. How far along that path had Kinnock and Hattersley and John Smith gone as they sort of fought against militant in the late 80s? Um, firstly, I, 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 would, I would insert a caveat that I, I, I don't actually know what neoliberalism means. It's not, and, and I, don't, I don't think Tony Blair has ever claimed that he introduced anything to do with neoliberalism because okay. I've, I've, I've never encountered politicians who, who claim it for themselves. Um, but... Uh, 
it had already, most of it had been done. And, and including by Blair himself. Blair, Blair was the one who announced the, um, the ending of Labour support for the closed shop in, in trade union legislation. But that was when he was shadow employment secretary. I mean, this is this is going back a lot. So most of the work, the, the heavy lifting had been done by um, by Neil Kinnock. Yeah. Um, by 1992, they were pro-Europe. They were in favour of uh, British nuclear uh, weapons. There was no, I, I don't think there's anything in the 1992 manifesto that says that they're going to renationalise any industries. I'm, I could be wrong on that. I haven't looked at it recently, but I don't remember anything. They, they, they had already abandoned virtually all the positions, but not, not as a struggle against militants. This is the struggle against Ben. Right. Militants didn't really count for anything. I mean, they, 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 they were a bogeyman and not much more. I mean, they, they, there was no possibility ever of Militant winning over the Labour Party. There was a strong possibility that Ben would win over the Labour Party and came close to doing so. Um, but, but you know, Ben is, is, is still within the normal parameters of the Labour Party. Yeah. He, he, whereas Militant really weren't. I mean, they didn't believe in the party's existence. So, you know, it, it's, they, 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 they were always a, a fairly malign influence within it. Um, but not not serious. Um, but yeah, no, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure that that, that that Blair changed a great deal. Um, he scaled down the expectations. Okay. Um, the, the 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 minimum wage had been an aspiration for a long time for the Labour Party. He scaled down the the, the level of it. Yes. Um, so he be, be kind of toned a bit, and and the big one was was um, on taxation. Uh, that that the reason that the Labour Party lost in '92 is almost certainly because John Smith presented a shadow budget that called for an increase in income tax, not at the average wage, but close enough to it that people could who, who felt they might be able, they they might aspire to earning a bit more suddenly thought, well, yeah, then we're going to get clobbered for tax. And so the, the, the one real change that, that Blair made was to announce in advance of the 97 election that they would stick with Tory tax and spending plans. Okay. And, and that, that, that's, that was like the final, the final piece in the jigsaw, but most of it had been assembled by, by Kinnock already. One thing, uh, one thing I remember is how the the right-wing British press found it very easy to um, present Kinnock as still part of the, the loony left that they liked to rage against throughout the 80s. And, and one memory, enduring memory I have, is Kinnock was the kind of, was Mandela's host in Wembley Stadium in Easter 1990. Um, Kinnock, Kinnock was very ostentatiously standing beside Mandela as he arrived in the stadium and when the crowd screamed an adulation Kinnock raised his fist in the air and then afterwards I remember at a fly on the wall documentary a Sun journalist saying does that mean you're a communist that fist in the air is a, is a communist sign and him going oh come on like uh, you know you'll see a fist in the air at every football match here on a Saturday that that the 
you know, last one to leave, turn the lights out, the tax bombshell, all of that, that, that you didn't hear any of that. Obviously, Murdoch shifts allegiance in 97. Was Kinnock just too easy to paint as far more left-wing than he actually was? And was there a sort of a cultural and identity and personality thing that meant that Kinnock couldn't own what you're describing, which is the main part of the shift towards a tolerance of the free market, all the things that Labour had already become? Kinnock's problem was that people thought he had changed those positions um, out of political expediency rather than conviction. Why did Kinnock, who had been a member of CND for many, many years, why did he suddenly decide that it was a good thing for us to have nuclear weapons? Is it was it was it was not convincing on, on a personal level, and and a lot of a lot of politics is about what you think the person genuinely believes. We knew what Margaret Thatcher believed. Um, we thought we knew what Neil Kinnock believed, but then he turn, he, he he does such a massive about turn. Um, it may have been a completely genuine conversion, but it didn't feel like it. I don't. Or it certainly was very easy to portray it as being. Um, uh, yeah, just non-authentic, yes. and authenticity yes. does matter. Um, it was it was not felt that he really meant what he was saying. Whereas Blair did. I mean, nobody had any doubts about. You know, he, even though in in Blair's maiden speech in 1983, he talks about why he's a socialist. Um, Seriously, I, no nobody really genuinely believes this. Um, so you know, it's it's, it's it, it, I think that was Kinnock's problem was was a personal thing. So, as Thatcher drove off in tears, what can be said about UK politics, economics, and society in general in the '90s that emerged um, as a result of the decade she and we had just left behind? I'm saying we. I wasn't there. Um, but you guys. <laughs> uh, Other we- than the fact that she invented soft serve and. <laughs> You're not um, letting that go. We 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 lived in her shadow. We? I mean, it was it. Was, she'd been so big. I mean, to, for for a, a prime minister to serve that long, anyway. But but it was more than that. It was it was because she she was this extraordinarily powerful figure with just an enormous amount of force that came with it and. Most of the 90s seemed to me to be living in her shadow. Um, she was still the most uh, newsworthy. Yeah, the mo- and, and the most newsworthy of, of politicians. You know, she she didn't say a great deal in public, but when she did, she was guaranteed to get headlines. Um, and all the way through the John Major premiership, she was. Uh, sniping from the uh, from the, the, the sidelines in a kind of Sattler and Warndorf kind of way, um, and undermining what she what 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 her successor was doing um, in exactly the same way that Ted Heath had attempted to undermine her, yeah. but with considerably more effect because she meant more than Ted Heath did. Um, but it 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 felt as if she had set the parameters for what politics was in Britain, um, and. Everybody else then had to fit in to the the the, the agenda that she had she had pioneered. Um, I feel like, sorry. No, no, it's Karen. Uh, 
no, I feel like with a character like Thatcher, it's almost like Teddy Roosevelt levels of um, sort of uh, reasserting um, the power of um, presidency or premiership um, by by being this sort of um, great near mythical, or uh, I guess the right word would be flamboyant character. Um, and then the trend of the 90s um, that you see, I feel like uh, in the UK, but also outside of the UK is just um, the, the new zeitgeist being sort of just being a, a regular guy, um, being um, perfectly, uh, extraordinarily ordinary. Hmm. Um, which uh, yeah. Tony Blair definitely um, tried to milk, and obviously Bush um, the second very much so milked by adopting this like fake Texan accent, pretending he grew up in Texas, um, his little Bushisms and what have you not. But um, yeah, was, is that like a? How would you how would you contextualize that? Well, to some extent, that's what Thatcher herself had done back in the 70s when she was the leader of the opposition. Um, a huge amount of, of her, her appeal, a, a very large chunk of it, was about the fact that she was ordinary. Um, and, and, and all her photo opportunities, not all, there were, the, sorry, there were, there were two strands. One, one was the international states one, of, uh, which, which she tended to play when she was in America as, as the leader of the opposition meeting Ronald Reagan before either of them was elected to, to the top job. Um, but at home, her photo opportunities were her wandering around street markets, buying vegetables, her chatting over a garden fence and having a cup of tea with a, 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 an ordinary housewife. She was an ordinary housewife. She was suburban. She was not part of the political system. And that, 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 was, that was the selling point. I mean, the fact that she was married to a millionaire kind of undermined, you know, back in the days when being a millionaire was was a thing, uh, slightly undermined the, uh, the the ordinariness of it. But but she carried that off very, very effectively. And and she deliberately positioned herself as being the anti-establishment character. Um, I mean, she, she she is she's she's the founder founder of, of, of modern populism in, in, in British politics. But that, that's one of the reasons why she then falls, I think, because she did incredibly well at articulating suburban discontent in the 1970s. She, she did, whether she's part of that or not, or whether she's posing, she did genuinely feel it. She shared the values of the people that she wanted to appeal to. By the time she's been in office for 10 years, there's a wonderful phrase in, in, in one of Alan Clark's diaries where he talks about a decade of motorcades. And, and that's what happens if you're in office for long enough. You're, you, you, you are so cocooned, you distance yourself. And in the case of somebody who's, whose entire shtick had been, I am an ordinary person, I am not part of the establishment, she's now hobnobbing with, with American presidents and with Mikhail Gorbachev and... And that's terrific, but it's not, it's not addressing what the people at home want. And it's the same problem that Blair had, exactly the same problem. Blair was supposed to be one of us, and then he seemed to be much more concerned with the international stage, and Thatcher did. 
and 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 she lost touch with the roots. So I I, I think she she kind of set that trend, and then she uh, because it's just in the nature of 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 being a prime minister for long enough. You she she lost touch with it, and and undermined it, and then yeah, that's what other politicians try to do. John Major was a very ordinary man in many ways. I mean, he's obviously something because he gets to be prime minister. Um, but but the, the 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 image is always very ordinary. And and as you say, Blair likewise. Yes, I trying I, to fit in. I remember the famously his him, you know, posing, doing the kind of headers back and forth with the footy. That that he mm. he knew how to play that and how pathetic Cameron looked when trying to do the same. <laughs> yeah. Um and yeah, I mean, Blair, you know, all the uh, I'm part of the rock and roll generation and uh, posing with a, a Fender Stratocaster, which is su- such a desperately sad and obvious choice of guitar. I mean, if it had been a Telecaster, I would have had some respect for the man, but you know, a Stratocaster, for goodness sakes. Um, sorry, have I gone a bit mute? I love I've gone a bit mute over No, no, not at all. No, no, I, I grew up in bands and yes, uh, we we had a friend whose uh, tastes were far far less Generation X, far far less grunge than the rest of us, and we used to call him Fender Marshall. That was our insult to him. Uh, there's Mister Fender Marshall there, you know. What are you going to call out Bill Clinton's saxophone on Arsenio Hall now? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't it cool enough for you, this uh, new generation of Burger King presidents? But um, he was quite good at the saxophone. Man. Sorry, what? He was quite good at the saxophone. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, if yeah, anything, right. that is the one thing I won't rob him off. But also, uh, in The President is Missing, I have not seen any mention that President Duncan can play the saxophone. So <laughs> I guess it's not him. I guess he hasn't based it on himself. <laughs> he, um, was be- he was better at playing the saxophone than Boris Yeltsin was at dancing. Oh, God. Which, a, a, a little addendum, I don't know how much anyone wants to muse on this, that another nail in Thatcher's coffin was the end of the Cold War. That that she, as you said, you know, that distraction of international politics was was very much taking her away from her core appeal. Mm. But her, her performance as the great Cold Warrior in the mid-80s and her la- and her very very amazingly warm, never repeated warmth, friendship uh, with the American president uh, in Reagan, was the fall of the Berlin Wall on top of Perestroika and Glasnost. Did that take away the sort of sense of the necessity for this resolute, fearsome figure, um, Boudicca figure in Downing Street? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean. It- it's where she was on the night of the the first ballot of the, the leadership election in 1990. The reason she was in Paris was there was a big international banquet to celebrate the end of the Cold War. So I mean, it was, and, and then the next night she resigns. You know, it, 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 it was right at the end. But it's also the what what it, it has an impact on how she views Europe because she did, she didn't like Europe, obviously, um, and Europe mostly reciprocated. But uh, she was, she she had 
an idea that the, the European community had a value as, as a bulwark against commons. And so she would go along. But once that disappears, um, and, and by 1988, it was clear that, that, that communism was not what, <laughs> not what communism used to be. Um, that's when she does the Bruges speech and she starts to turn against the European ideal much more overtly. And of course, it's Europe that does finally bring her down. Um, and I, 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 I suspect that she would not have been quite as overtly uh, hostile to the European project if, if the Soviet Union was still intact. Wow. Um, and and, and I, I, I think it, she then couldn't see the point of it. Um, you know, it, it, it had lost the meaning that she, she felt that it had as, as a geopolitical institution. Um, I mean, as an adjunct, adjunct to, to NATO, you know, I don't think she saw it as the sole bulwark or the most important, but it, what, that was the significance, I think. And so, so it does feed into why she declines. Um, well, sorry, doesn't really decline. She just falls. Um, mm. You know, there's, there's not a great deal of decline going on. It's just, it, it's just a sudden, incredibly quick uh, removal. I mean, it, 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 it's still an extraordinary thing that's, that, that somebody who is in power for that long can be thrown out in the space of, what, three weeks or yeah. something? I mean, from Geoffrey Howe's resignation statement to her resignation. It's a, you know, it a, a handful of days. It was extraordinary. No, I remember getting whiplash from it. Um, I remember, mm. you know, being a reasonably kind of like nerdy political kid as a teenager and thinking in the summer of 1990, oh, there's Thatcher's next Falklands when Saddam rolls into Kuwait um, mm. and, and thinking that she would be posing on the tanks again. So, you know, and, and, and certainly Major picks up that baton and it, it is very beneficial to Major's public image that he is the one in the desert with George H.W. Bush that, that uh, late winter. Yeah, I think, I, I think it did help um, Major in that it, because we had so little image of him, it did, it did give him a role. I'm not sure it would have done any, any good for Thatcher particularly. Um, mm. I, I, I think the Falklands factor can be overrated. I think I, I, my, my feeling was always that it it, it, um, it transformed our perception of her as an individual and as a politician. But I, I'm not sure it is. It's not why they won, uh, why why Thatcher won a re-election re in 1983. Because um, if you look at the opinion polls, the, the Tories were already coming back, and they were doing so because the economy had turned, and, and, and people. The British people do not vote on foreign affairs, even on wars. Even Churchill doesn't get elected in 1945, and that was a war that was worth rewarding somebody for. You'd have thought of all of them. Um, and, and conversely, Tony Blair, 2005, wins uh, an election very comfortably, despite the fact that he's engaged in two very unpopular wars. So, you know, it, it, we, don't, we don't vote on that, but it, it certainly helped Major in terms of giving him visibility and making him look like he was on the world stage. Um, but interesting that, you know, even in the midst of... Uh, we weren't quite at war with Iraq when Thatcher went, but we were clearly going to, going to be. Um, and even in that situation, the Tory party is capable of changing its leaders is, is a point worth noting in the current 
circumstances, I suspect. And indeed that they changed, you know, they held a general election whilst the war with Japan was still going in 1945. You know, this is um, just because there's a war on doesn't mean to say you can't have a new prime minister. Alvin, this was just stunning. Thank you so much. Great. And um, I hope we get you in again sometime to talk about 1980. Anytime. Thank yeah. you so much. Or 1970. Oh. Yeah, 1970 better. You know, I, I know the 70s. I enjoyed the book the I read. Yeah, I like the 70s. <laughs> The 80s, not so much. And a big thanks to Alwyn for taking the time to record that episode with us. You can find out much more about Alwyn on his website, alwynwturner.com. Alwyn is spelt A-L-W-Y-N, so alwynwturner.com. And I really recommend, if you're interested in what we were talking about, his book, A Classless Society, which was what we used as the basis of uh, our research for interviewing Alwyn. Susie will be back just in about 10 days' time when we're talking about American and British TV of 1990. In between now and then, our next full episode is with Mick on Friday about cinema. And you can join the discussion now by searching us up on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Zero's Podcast. At Zero's Podcast, and Zero's is spelt with an O-E-S. You can also email us, zeroespodcast at gmail.com. And I always ask, be robust, be highly critical, but be respectful and non-abusive. I will see you next time. (laughs) 